What a message that really sets the tone for our text this morning. Uh, find your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse 1. We'll speak to you this morning on the subject of how to possess God's best. How to possess God's best. Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 3. Well, you're finding, and you're finding the book of Joshua chapter 3. Won't you stand with me this morning, all those that can, and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Joshua chapter 3, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words, <clears throat> Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went throughout the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask your Spirit would speak to us challenge us. God, I simply pray that whatever you desire to do in men and women's lives today, little boys, little girls, it will be accomplished. Father, we pray for those who have never been saved. They will turn and trust you today. Challenge each of us today, God. Have we really crossed over daily? Are we crossing over and following you and possessing the best that you saved us and you rose again to experience in this life, all that you desire to do through us. Praise will come to invitation. You'll speak to us clearly your perfect will, and we'll respond to it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Won't you be seated? Well, several weeks ago, um, we spoke to you out of the middle part of chapter 1 about don't miss God's best. We challenge you uh, not to miss God's best. There are four realities uh, that had to be there in your life. You had to prepare to position to possess, and then also to protect. And we're going to be looking more in depth at that third point this morning, how to possess God's best in your life. Remember, just in review, Moses has died, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Joshua is now being commissioned as the leader. It's just a reminder to each of us again, friend, that ministry goes on. Don't you listen to me. Somebody sat in the pew you're sitting in before you did many years. I want these days, friends, somebody's going to live in your house. They're going to sleep in your bedroom. They're going to eat breakfast in what you call a kitchen should the Lord not return. Life goes on and ministry's going to go on. The question is whether we would have prepared the next generation for ministry to go on as God desired. That's what Moses had done for 40 years. He'd worked with the next generation to prepare them to be able to cross over and to experience God's best. And so those 40 years of wandering are finally over. Remember, there was death that had taken place during those 40 years. They just had funeral after funeral after funeral, but also discipleship. And Moses reminded them, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 23, that God led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Don't miss this. But he led them out that he might lead them in to God's best on the other side of the Jordan. He didn't just lead them out just to sit for the rest of their life. He had ministry. He had work for them to do. Remember, they were to be a kingdom of priests. It was through the nation of Israel that the written word would come. 
But friend, most important, the living word, Jesus Christ in the fullness of time would come. And their ministry was to be a kingdom of priests, to be fruitful and multiplied, to raise godly generations who would raise godly generations who would raise godly generations. Go to Matthew chapter 1 and follow that entire genealogy. And then in the fullness of time, when God decided it was time, Jesus Christ would be born. And it was time for them to take that next step and to cross over. Remember the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 that all of these things happened to the nation of Israel, good things and bad things, uh, as examples for us. And the Apostle Paul says they were written in God's Word for our admonition as a word of encouragement, but also as a word of warning that we don't make the same mistakes that they made. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says, So it was after three days. We spent some time in chapter 1 on that. It was time to cross over, but they had to wait three days. It was very significant. It speaks again, friend, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, friend, that it is the death of Christ that brought us out of sin's captivity. Listen, but it's the life of Jesus that brings us into the abundant life. The death of Jesus doesn't bring us into the abundant life. It's his res resurrected life that brings us into that place that he can live the life that he desires to live through us. And so we need to personalize that and be reminded that God brought you out. He just didn't bring the nation of Israel. If you've been saved, say amen. He brought you out of sin's penalty and sin's possession of your life that he might bring you in to his best in this life. God's will is not for you just to sit and soak and to walk around in good. A lot of people here this morning might stand who aren't in God's will. You've never surrendered your life to to the, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I've got a pretty good life. It might be good, but it's not best. There's a big and a far difference, friend, between good. See all these bumper stickers, life is good? Seen those before? Well, friend, there's good, and then there's best. And you can't get any better than best. And the best life, friend, is the life that God has saved you, and he has chosen, and he wants to give you. But you have to possess it and to follow him. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I come that you might have life, but also life more abundantly. All this in just for review to set the tone for our text this morning. It's, you read the entire chapter of uh, uh, Joshua chapter 3, and we'll spend more time next week in the other verses. We'll see that over 10 different times the word ark is mentioned. Now, this isn't Noah's ark. It's the ark of of the covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was part of the furniture, if you will, that God gave the nation of Israel, and he gave them the wisdom to be able to build. It was a wooden box that was roughly 27 inches by 27 inches by 45 inches, and it had a lid on top of it, and on top of that lid were two cherubim, two uh, angels, if you will, that had their wings forward-facing. There were eyelets on each side of the, the long 45-inch uh, dimension of the box, and there were wooden staves that were to go through. It was to be transported that way. But it was, it was significant because it represented God's presence among his people. The Ark of the Covenant would be taken. The blood would be applied upon the mercy seat. That's the lid that sat upon the top. And once that took place, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt among his people. He tabernacled there. The wood... Remember, the ark is a type of Christ. 
the wood that made up this ark, stay with me, this is very important, that the ark was so central in Israel's crossing over. The, the ark was made of wood that represented Christ's humanity. But it was also covered in gold, which represented his deity. Remember Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4 says that there were three things that were placed inside the ark. There was a copy of the law, there was a little pot of manna, and there was also a little stick uh, that was known as Aaron's stick that had bloomed. The, the law was God's revelation of his righteousness. Remember that in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse number 17. Uh, Jesus Christ says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. He said, I did not come to destroy it. He said, but to fulfill it. Jesus Christ was the living fulfillment of God's law. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 24, the Apostle Paul wrote to those churches in the areas of Galatia that the law was to be our schoolmaster. It was to be a teacher. It was to be a mirror of sorts that when we looked at the law, you read the Ten Commandments, you go, yep, failed in one, failed in two, failed in three, failed in four, failed in five, failed in six, failed in seven, failed in eight, failed in nine, failed in ten. Guilty. I'm guilty in all. There's no way I can ever keep this. And the Bible says if you failed in one point, you failed in all points. So it was a schoolmaster to show us that we needed, we needed righteousness to be added to our lives because we couldn't attain the righteous demands of the law, but Jesus attained it for us. And so when we turn from sin and trust him, friend, his righteousness is imputed to our lives. Also, Aaron's rod was inside the ark of the covenant. Remember, it's an interesting story. Numbers chapter 16, verse 3. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They were three knuckleheads. They woke up one morning and they said, you know what, Moses? Um, we're all just as sanctified and holy as you are. and We're just as sanctified and holy as Aaron is. And we think you need to uh, change the duty roster. And we all need to have access to the priesthood. And Moses realized, boy, the wrath of God is fixing to fall upon you. And the next morning, friend, the, the whole family of Korah, the whole family of Dathan, the whole family of Abiram, God's, Moses began to pray, said, if, if these aren't judged, then I'm a failure and I'm not God's prophet. But if these have misspoke, if they've overstepped into the office of the high priest, God do something to judge them that you've never done before. And the earth opened up underneath them and swallowed their entire households and came back together. Well, he'd stirred up a little contingent of people, uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram had, to stand against Moses, 250 strong. And God just sent down a fireball from heaven, friend, and fried every one of them on the spot. And so the next day, because they were hard-headed and slow learners, a group of people began to complain against him. You know, Moses, this is really all your fault that this happened. And Moses fell to the ground and began to pray because he knew God was going to judge him again. 14,700 people died that day in a plague because they rebelled against the clear teaching of God's Word. And God told Moses, get a small stick that represents every tribe, get one for Aaron, take them into the Holy of Holies, leave them there, and the one that blooms, that's the man again that I've chosen to be priest. And the only one that bloomed, then the only, it was a dead stick, it wasn't in the ground. The only one that bloomed and produced blooms and almonds was the stick of Aaron. It was just a reminder of again, friend. It was, it was a 
It was a foretelling of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that though he had died, he rose again. And God made that dead stick rise again and produced almonds. And so the, the stick, the law, reminds us of Christ our righteousness. Aaron's rod reminds us of Christ our resurrection. But also there was a jar of manna. We spent much time over the past few weeks, and I'm not going to go back through it all, but Exodus chapter 16 uh, spoke about how, what the manna would be. It was a type of Christ. It, it, it represented his, his ministry among the people, but it, but it met a need, a physical need. Remember in chapter 1, uh, the, God told the nation of Israel, you're going to have to prepare provisions for yourself. Uh, if you've got the King James laying in your lap, the word is victuals. You're going to have to prepare food. And it's a reminder uh, that Christ is our resource. He is our sustenance in life. Man shall not live, Matthew 4, 4, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan had tempted Jesus after 40 intense days of fasting in his humanity. Friend, he was hungry. He says, hey, if you're, if you're so hungry, won't you command these stones to be turned into bread? And Christ responded with the word of God, Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But he was actually referencing Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 3. Don't miss this. Where Moses told the nation of Israel in discipleship, he says, don't forget God humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and he fed you with manna. Manna, well, there's going to be a jar of manna in the Ark of the Covenant. He said, He fed you with this manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers did not know, that He might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so those of you that are longing for a ham sandwich, won't you just tell the devil, more than I need a ham sandwich this morning, I need God's Word. I need to hear from Jesus Christ today. Every morning, friend, you've got to get up and prepare spiritual provisions for the day. You've got, listen, I eat a bowl of oatmeal every morning. I drink my cup of coffee. But more important than that, friend, I need God's Word. And you do. You have to feed your soul. And so that's what the manna represented. The law was Christ our righteousness. Aaron's rod was Christ our resurrection. And the manna represented Christ our resource. Listen to me, friend. Every need you have in life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every need. And so Israel's response to the ark, don't miss this, as it crossed over Jordan, their response and following would, would, would determine their success as they sought to cross over and to possess God's best. And so to cross over and possess God's best for your life, it's wholly determined in how you respond to Jesus Christ. If you don't get this, the, the rest of the message is not going to make any sense. I've already lost some of you. I can tell by your faces. The Ark of the Covenant is a type of Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel was to watch the Ark and to follow the Ark. Friend, I'm telling you this morning, if you don't watch Jesus Christ and follow Him appropriately in life every single day, you will not possess the best that Christ has saved you and has won for you to experience. If you see that, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, to cross over and possess God's best, all of that setting the table, number one, you must follow Jesus completely. You have to do that. You have to choose every day to follow Jesus completely. Look at verse number three of Joshua chapter three. 
So all the officers carrying out God's command through Joshua, they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, remember, it was going to be on staves, the, the workers were going to be carrying it. He says, when you, when you see it, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Don't just sit and observe it and say, yep, there she goes. He says, you've got to see it going, and then you've got to get up, and you've got to go after it. You have to follow the ark wherever it goes. Wherever the ark goes, you go. Luke chapter 9, verse number 23, Jesus said, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Friend, that is the life of a disciple. If you, you will never experience the best that God wants you to have, friend, if you don't choose every single day to die to self. That is, to die to selfishness. The, the one word that Satan wants you to have on your, in your vocabulary and upon your tongue at all times is this. Are you ready for it? It's, it's a word, and it's also a letter. I. 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 Constantly focused upon you. Friend, the life of a disciple doesn't even say that word. It's Jesus, others, and I have died. I don't exist anymore. The question is, what does Jesus want me to do? How can I love my neighbor as, ourself, as myself? But I don't exist. Wherever Jesus goes, I'm to go. Doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter if it goes along with my dream, what my family thinks is rational and makes sense. The question is this, where is the ark going? That's where the people are to go. And oh, by the way, friend, it's about to step into the Jordan, which is not, listen, it's not, we're dry right now. You want a prayer request? Pray for rain. We need some rain in this area. We're, we're dry. That's not what was taking place when they were about to cross the Jordans. It was at the flood stage. God waited until, friend, she was in the bushes. And he would get all the glory for how the obstacle was taken care of as they crossed over. The, the ark was about to head toward the Jordan. It, they hadn't stepped in yet. And the people were like, what, what's, what's he do? what are they doing? Do they not see that water? That doesn't, we've got to find a foot log somewhere. There's got to be a bridge somebody's made. No, friend, all they were to do was to follow the ark, not to question, not to take a vote, just simply to follow. You hear me this morning. You want to experience the best? You want to possess the best that God has saved you and called you to experience? You must fully follow Jesus Christ. Whether it goes against Everything that everybody around you thinks makes sense, it doesn't matter. Wherever he leads, you've got to have the, the attitude, and friend, you have got to have the desire and, and the surrender. Say, wherever he leads, that's where I'll go. That's where I'll go. And the reason so many people, you hear me this morning, friend, never possess the best that God has saved them to experience, it doesn't meet all the desires of everybody that's around them. Friend, when you got saved, you surrendered your desires to Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what everybody else wants. doesn't matter whether everybody else is happy. As long as Jesus is happy, that's all that matters. And so you must follow Jesus completely. Well, how do we do that? Number one, read. Read God's Word. You want to know where He's leading you? Read 
His Word. RPO. Pray. Pray and seek His face. And then obey where He leads. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 18. That's a good verse to write down there in the margin of your Bible. Listen to what the Bible says. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. You listen to me. When you read God's Word, you pray, you you spend time in fellowship, and prayer again demonstrates our dependence upon Him, and you obey the Word, you obey what God is leading you to do, God will open doors, He will close doors, and He will give you peace that passes all understanding of what you need to do and you don't need to do. He'll do that. But the question is, friend, and He knows your heart before you pray or whether you even will pray. So many people never discover what God wants them to do because they think ignorance is bliss. Friend, it's not. If you've been saved, again, say amen. Your entrance into heaven is guaranteed. Aren't you glad for that? But hearing well done from Jesus is not. Your entrance is guaranteed. But to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and hear well done, My good and faithful servant. That's not guaranteed. What guarantees that, friend, is whether you fully surrender your life to Christ every day and fully follow Jesus Christ. Whether he truly gets to live the life that he desires and he wills to live through you. And you you discern that and you're able to do it by reading God's word, by praying praying to him, and obeying what he leads you to do. Wherever Jesus leads, you follow, whether it makes sense to anybody else or not. Friend, where he leads, he will provide, he will take care, he will furnish everything. Secondly, if you would possess God's best, you must forsake all competing distractions. Anything that the devil can use to distract you from following Jesus you must do that. Um, Melissa and I, before we had children, we, we, we decided that we would get a dog. And that if the dog, we could keep the dog from dying, then we'd try to have kids later. We, if we could pass that test, we would move on to humans after, after that. And so her dad helped us find a, a little lab puppy from uh, Felman. It was, and, and I don't, listen, it wasn't out of a milk crate on a tailgate down at Walmart with three beside him. This was, this was a good dog. Had good stock. Had a little piece of paper with all its pedigree that came with it. I mean, smart as smart could be. And so we started trying to, to train uh, the dog, you know, how to be, because uh, I duck hunted some years ago and Melissa loved to bird hunt. And her dad still uh, quail hunted some. So we, we would train the dog. And I got a little quail wing. It was doing really good. But it was always interesting. I'd, I'd put it out and the dog would point. And then all of a sudden Melissa could walk around the house or a squirrel would run by and the dog would, it would turn and look. It would get distracted. It wasn't focusing on what it needed to do. But the more we worked with it, the more we took it to the lake and swim, the more it would focus on what it needed to do. I could throw one of those dummies out in the lake and it would start going straight toward it and I would start throwing other stuff around it. Wouldn't even turn to the side. It would focus on what it was supposed to do. Distractions didn't matter anymore. You listen to me. Determining what Christ wants you to do, it doesn't stop there. And Satan's not going to stop. 
Even if you begin to follow Jesus, he will do everything he can to distract you and to turn you aside from fully following Jesus Christ. And you've got to forsake all competing distractions. Look what the Bible says. They commanded the people, look at your Bibles again, when the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God of the priests of the Levites bearing it that steps out, then you shall set out after it and you shall go after it. Yet there shall be, look at verse number 4, a space between you and it of about 2,000 cubits of measure. Well, that's 3,000 feet, roughly. A cubit's about 18 inches. Well, a mile is 5,280 feet, so it's just over half a mile. There is to be a half a mile distance between the Ark of the Covenant and between the first tribe of people that we're following. What this would allow is this, friend, everybody. They wouldn't just crowd right up onto where you couldn't see. Don't you love to get behind a big 18-wheeler at a red light? You pull right. You can, now, stay with me. The 18-wheelers, you've got safe following distance, right? And you're approaching a red light. The big 18-wheelers in front of you. You can see the red light. You see it turning yellow. You see the, the red come on. And then you ease up. And then all of a sudden, all you can see is the, the, the front of the truck in front of you. You can't see the, 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 the traffic light anymore. And you don't know whether it's time to go. It's turned left. You don't know how much time you've got. Sometimes they might de- delay. It might be one of those quick change lights, and this is where it really gets you. They'll begin to take off, and they're grinding it out in first, and you're ready to get through, and you can't see anything. And right as the top of the truck clears the light, it's yellow and it turns red. Everybody know what I'm talking about? It got so close, and you got so close, you couldn't see the light. What God was telling the nation of Israel it was not will stay away from me spiritually, but leave so much space that nothing can distract you from focusing upon the ark. You've got to watch the ark because where the ark goes, you go. You have to forsake all competing distractions. They weren't to watch the river. I've already shared with you, and we'll see next week, the river was at full river stage. They were going to be walking and Man, what, how are we going to cross this? Man, it's in the bushes. They weren't to worry about that. All they were to do is to watch the ark. Just watch the ark. They weren't to think about the giants. Now, I remember, I heard word, and Caleb and Joshua confirmed, man, there's some big old giants on the other side. They weren't to be distracted by thoughts about the giants. All they were to do was to watch the ark and go after it. That's all they had to do. Watch and follow. And you say, well, man, those are things you're really to be afraid of. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That means I don't have to be biting my fingernails into the quick, worrying about the giants, the walled cities, and the rivers. All I have to do, friend, is keep my eyes on Jesus every single day and follow him. That's all I have to do. Another distraction uh, would be what was behind them. As they begin to march forward, they say, well, I wonder if we're going to fail like they did 40 years ago. I don't want to wander around anymore. I mean, we failed. How can we get past it? Are we really deserving of this anyway? No, they weren't. And guess what, friend? Neither are you and I. You and I deserve one thing, hell. But God in his grace and God in his mercy offers us forgiveness, life, and life more abundant. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I don't consider myself to have arrived. Paul never settled out and says, you know, this is as good as it gets. 
He says, this thing I do, I forget the things that are behind me, verse 14, and I press on to the things that are ahead. Stop worrying about yesterday's failures, friend. If you've confessed them, praise God, they're under the blood. But don't let Satan bear you down every day in condemnation over yesterday's failures. It's in yesterday. Move on to the blessings of today. The experiences that you can have now in Jesus Christ. Not only that, friend, but they they weren't to be distracted by Canaanite pleasures. Now listen to me. They were about to step into a brand new world that they had never seen. Didn't Didn't even begin to compare to what their ancestors had seen in Egypt. I remember when I was a a younger boy in college, uh, I was in ROTC, and we were going to go down and march in a Mardi Gras parade. Stayed on the USS Guam. That was... Friend, listen. Worst thing I'd ever seen anybody do was look over across the way at the Pizza Hut and see somebody drink a beer in Wainsville. I'm just telling you. Friend, listen. I was in whole new territory when I went down... To New Orleans. And that's why I spent the rest of the time on the ship. I said, boy, I've had enough of this. I'm ready to go home. Friend, they were about to step over into the land that were full of Canaanite pleasures. Sin abounded everywhere. They had to look away from all of that filth and keep their eyes on Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Apostle Paul says, Wherefore come ye out from among them, and be ye separate. And he echoes Isaiah 52, 11, And touch not the unclean thing. My friend, if you would experience God's best every day, you've got to put away the competing distractions that are constantly bombarding you in television, media, song, through relationships, things that people are trying to share with you. You've got to look away from all of those things and focus on Jesus Christ. If that filth is in your life, you're never going to experience God's best. Why? Because sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59 too. You have to put away all competing distractions. And fifth, can I just share it real carefully before we move on? Don't be distracted by partial settlers. And this is what I feel is one of the greatest threats to the church. As your pastor, I mean this with all of my heart. Hear me this morning. One of the greatest threats that you're going to have here in the South to experiencing God's best is being distracted by partial settlers. What am I talking about? We'll go back to chapter 1, verse number 12, and you'll remember that Joshua spoke to Gad, Manasseh, and, and, and half of another tribe, that Benjamin. And, and it's, they, they decided that they were going to settle. They didn't fully want to follow, to follow the Lord. Uh, Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. They, as they approached up to the Jordan, they saw some land there. It wasn't the promised land, but they saw some land that looked good. You hear me? It looked good. But the best land was on the other side of the Jordan. What they decided was that they would settle over here. See, it's, it's, it's good, and I think it'll be good enough for us. And so all the men are going to cross over. They're going to help the people fight. They're going to leave all their families back on the, the west side. They're not taking them over. I mean, on the east side. They're not taking them west where where the best is. And so they settled. And I'm telling you, you hear me this morning. One of the things in the local church today that will keep you from experiencing God's best is being distracted by other church members and Christians that you know that are not all in. 
They live half-hearted devotion. They're more committed to worldly things and worldly activities than their sole focus being following Jesus Christ at all times and in all ways. And if you're not careful, friend, you'll begin to think, well, man, that's the standard. I mean, they're pretty good people. They've got a pretty good life. They seem pretty happy. But my friend, you're either all in or in God's eyes, you're all out. And so they needed to make sure, friend, that they didn't stay on the wrong side of the river and be distracted by all those who decided to stay. If you're not careful, friend, you'll miss out on God's best because you'll look at those people and you won't focus on Jesus Christ. Wherever He leads, you follow. You have to fully forsake all competing distractions. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 And verse number 2, what a powerful verse of Scripture the author of Hebrews shares. He says in verse number 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen to verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He says, don't look at all the distractions, but look unto Jesus Christ. You know, when you look at something, it gives knowledge about. But when you look unto, it gives knowledge of. It yields understanding. And that word in the Greek literally means to look away from and to look to. To look unto Jesus Christ. Look away from every other thing that Satan would use to distract you from keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ. How do I keep my eyes on Jesus Christ? R-P-O. Read His Word, pray, and obey His Word. Friend, you're never closer to Jesus Christ than when you're obeying His Word. You're never closer. So I, boy, I've, I've listened to some songs before, and I've just felt warm fuzzy all over it. Made my shirt stand up off my arms. I had goosebumps so big I could button my shirt with them. Friend, you're never closer to Jesus than when you are obeying His Word. Obedience is the greatest single act of worship. Look unto Jesus Christ. There are going to be so many challenges and obstacles and temptations to distract them and to lure them away. Remember Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Jesus said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. What's the reverse truth? If you're looking in all these different places, friend, your body's going to be full of darkness. You can only truly have the light of Christ when He is your singular focus. To experience God's best, you must forsake all competing distractions. And third, you must forfeit yourself to Jesus Christ. That means you you just give you to Jesus. And listen to me this morning. And that means everything that sums up you. If you're just to write down on a piece of paper what makes you up, Well, there's me, there's my wife, there's my two kids. Uh, Vocationally, I'm a pastor. I'm a member of Greenwood Baptist Church. I have these hobbies. I have these possessions, and I'm still paying for most of them. I I write down everything, friend, that makes up me. Guess what, friend? They either all belong to Jesus or they don't. My time either belongs to you. Christians are in the mind today, friend, that somehow they can pigeonhole sections of time. 
You know, that Christ is Lord over all these areas except for this one, this one, this one. And God's okay with that. It's not, friend. He's got your whole calendar or he doesn't have any of it. He doesn't have any of it. And so you have to forfeit, that is to surrender everything that is you to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or you'll never be able to experience God's best. Look at verse number 5. They begin to follow. They're keeping a space so everybody can see Jesus. Everybody can see the ark. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What were they to do? They were to set themselves aside for God's exclusive use. It means the devil, I've got a big sign to the devil that says, Hands off. You don't get any part of me. You don't get any part of my family. You don't get any part of my time. You don't get any part of my body. You don't get any part of my eyes. You don't get any part of my ears. You don't get any part of my hands. You don't get any part of my job. You don't get any part of my finances. You don't get any part of my, my church, my hobbies, anything. It all belongs to Jesus Christ. They were to sanctify themselves. That means spiritually and positionally, they were to be holy devoted to God's use. And what was God's plan for them? To be a kingdom of priests, to be fruitful and multiply, to train and teach children, Proverbs 22, 6, and raise them in strength and admonition of the Lord, but to train them in the way that they should go so when they're old, they wouldn't depart from those things. So then the fullness of time, Christ would come. What's God's will for us? To be missionaries. To live on mission. That's why we exist. We exist for missions. And if God's called you to live here, this is our mission field. It's all about reaching, teaching, and encouraging. And God will never do that through you, friend, the way He desires it. If you're not sanctified, you're not fully set apart, you haven't forfeited all that is you to the exclusive use of Almighty God. It's something that you've got to settle in your life. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24 just one verse after verses we quoted just a second ago. Jesus said this, friend. You're, going to have one, you're only going to have one master, but something's going to master you. It's going to be Jesus or you fill in the blank. But he won't share you. Jesus never comes second. He'll always be first or nowhere else. But something's going to master you. And for Jesus to do that, it takes total sanctification. First, it involves total dedication, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be a living sacrifice. Just like they put a bloody, slippery sacrifice upon that altar of dedication, and it was wholly consumed, so you and I, friend, are to willingly every day lay our lives down on an altar to crucify ourselves, to take up our cross, crucify ourselves, and to be living sacrifices. The sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament, they died. Leviticus 17, 11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And when the blood's gone, life's gone. But we're to be living sacrifices. Every day we're to be walking around in total surrender to Jesus Christ, totally dedicated, every part of us, wholly devoted to Him. And secondly, there must be a total death to sin. Uh, Galatians 6, 14. You, you, have, you must decide, friend, that sin is dead to you, it's not an option. It doesn't mean, friend, we're not going to succumb to temptation, Ephesians 6. We're not going to fail. But we have to have the attitude every day going forward that I've died to sin. I don't want to sin anymore. And thanks be to God, I don't have to sin. 
But if I do sin, 1 John says, thank God if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to give us a brand new start. But my friend, if you've got the attitude of, well, I've got it on the side, then that's the reality. You're always going to defer to that. You must be totally dead to sin. Third, there must be total dependence upon Christ. John 6, 67 through 69. What a confession. John chapter 6, verse 66. Many of the disciples chose to follow him no more. But then you remember he turned to the twelve and says, Will you go away also? Peter, you remember what he said? Where are we going to go? There's nowhere else to go. Only Only you have the words of life, and we've decided you're the Messiah. There's nobody else to follow. Friend, you'll never experience God's best until you grow that place. The world has nothing to offer you. I won't trade Jesus for anything. He's all I need. It's absolute, total dependence upon Him. And fourth, if you would forfeit yourself to Christ, there must be total demonstration. You know, just to look forward a few chapters, Joshua at the end of his life, he, he told the nation of Israel, he's about to die. He says, now therefore... Joshua 24, 14, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity. Not just with lip service, but make it real and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. There must be total demonstration. Listen to me. You can't experience God's best if you don't really serve the Lord. The devil will bring you to a place you think, well, in my mind I want to, so that, that equals, you know, serving the Lord. No, friend, you're either serving the Lord or you're not serving the Lord. He said, if you would experience God's best, forfeit yourself to Christ through total demonstration, not word only. You know, something to think about this morning is this, you know. If I, having been led out of sin's captivity, think about this. I've already asked you two times. We'll make it three. If you've been saved, say Amen. God led you out of sin's penalty and sin's possession through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the nation of Israel was led out from under the penalty of death by the blood of the Lamb that had been willingly applied to the doorposts of the houses that they were lived in. He led them out. If I've I've been led out through sin's captivity and I follow Jesus completely, I forsake all competing distractions. I forfeit myself to Christ. Listen, He will make a way and He will lead me over into His best. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to tell me about how insurmountable the obstacle is. If I have been led out of sin's captivity... I follow Jesus completely. I forsake all competing distractions. I have my eye on Christ and Him alone. I forfeited myself completely to Jesus Christ. God will make a way. Friend, you can't find that anywhere else. Politicians promise all these things both sides of the aisles. And rarely do they deliver. God never fails. What He promises to do, He will accomplish it. But it is dependent upon whether we will fully follow Him. That's the truth, man. For every truth, there's a reverse truth. Listen to me this morning. If I don't do these things, hear me. If you don't do these things, if your family doesn't do these things that we've mentioned this morning, church family, you hear me. If our church family doesn't do these things, 
we will never experience God's best. You won't experience God's best. Your family won't experience God's best. And this church won't experience God's best. We might experience some goodness. Say, boy, it's pretty good. Good, good. But it'll never be best. Color me selfish. Friend, I don't want the devil's good. I want God's best. And there's only one way to do that. And it's through Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Friend, have you truly been saved? I'm not asking if you've joined a church, you've ever been religious, or what your religious pedigree is. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you chose to turn from sin and yourself, and because Jesus died from you, you and rose again, you chose to trust in what he did and to trust in his life? that you might experience eternal life in a place called heaven? Has there ever been a moment that you've turned in trusting to be Lord of your life? If the answer is no, do it right now. He loves you. He died to save you. He's willing to save you from sin's penalty and his possession of your life. If you'll only turn from you and turn from all your sin and just surrender you to his lordship, but you've got to choose to do it. If you do it right now, tell him so in a simple prayer of faith, God, forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. And I want the life that he wants to give me spiritually, but physically here on this earth. I want to possess your best now and in eternity. I turn from my sin. I turn to you. Save me, Jesus. Did you pray that this morning and mean it with all your heart? In just a moment, after I pray one more time, we're going to stand our feet. And when we do that, no one's going to be looking around. Heads will be bowed, eyes will be closed. Won't you make your way to the front so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life if you prayed and trusted Him to be Lord of your life today? Church family, be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Because God knows the truth, and you do too. Are you really experiencing God's best day? Are, have, are you possessing daily God's best? Or are you just living in the devil's second good? Has he challenged you today? Has he convicted you? In one, two, or all of these areas, they're not really realities in your life. Fresh and anew, submit yourself to his lordship. And leave this place today fully following Jesus Christ and desiring to possess the best that he saved you to experience. Father, you do now what only you can do. Pray your Holy Spirit will bring conviction, draw us into your will. You know every heart and every life and every need. And we pray you'll speak to us now. And we'll be obedient to respond to what you call us to do now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's reverently stand our feet.